Richard Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is the editor of Rotographs, Dino Saris. While the season has ended, uh, there are still many decisions to make for those fantasy owners who are part of uh, various sorts of dynasty or keeper leagues, uh, generally speaking, and specifically those fantasy owners who are in auto new leagues, that is uh, the fantasy universe associated with Fangraphs itself, there are arbitration decisions to be made by November 15th. In what follows, uh, I ask you know about uh, some of those arbitration decisions, what he's seen uh, specifically in some of his if his own leagues, I should say. We discuss some uh, different strategies that owners might take during that arbitration process. Uh, of course, all this information uh, is not just specific to the Auto New Fantasy Universe. Uh, it also has a, a sort of um, broader application so far as keeper leagues in general are concerned. It's, you know, specifically what, what players have seen the, the greatest increase of value uh, between the beginning of this past season uh, and where we stand presently. We also talked to Eno about uh, FG+, Plus, uh, which, among other things, includes our uh, fantasy coverage or will include our fantasy coverage for 2013. I asked him where we stand so far as that's concerned. And actually, we start off the show uh, with a slightly different but also related discussion, which is uh, have we entered a place now where people who have grown up playing fantasy baseball or mostly grown up playing fantasy baseball, uh, if and when they have children, Will, will they share that uh, with with their children? Eno, as a, of course, as a new or newish father, uh, has that question on his mind and probably will continue to do so. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that with Eno. Uh, that's about to happen. This is the uh, Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio, features Rotographs editor Eno Saris, and it begins right now. I am sitting here uh, researching a piece. Uh, I'm trying to do like a longer magazine-style piece on um, sort of parenting and gaming. So, Whoa, for whom? Uh, we'll see. Oh. Uh, it, 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 the, the tagline is easy. I'm, I'm 33. Uh, first-time fathers are 33. Uh, I just had a son, and Atari is 33. Mm. So I feel like there's um, this new generation of sort of gaming fathers um, that are, you know, still gaming. Um, yes. So I want to I want to sort of just explore the how that will affect the father son relationship um, a little bit more that than necessarily the effect of gaming on parent on the child you know a little bit more about yeah. sort of what it's like to play with your son and what that means for you know sort of competition levels between you and your son and interactivity and and time spent together and stuff like that there are a lot of uh, conversations uh, in uh, uh, literature and uh, journals designed for parents there are a lot of conversations about video games and what they do to your kid yeah yeah, so I want to use that a little bit, but also talk about... I mean, one thing that I think is really interesting is I used to play volleyball with my father, but um, it took me a really long time to get to the point where I could actually play with him and his friends. Right. Um, and that didn't really happen until, you know, 16, 17 years old. Um, and then, uh, you know, by that time, 
he was 46, 47, um, and then he blew out both knees, and by the time I was 18 or 19, you know, he wasn't playing as well, and then he stopped playing completely. Um, so we only had like two or three years where we were actually sort of competitive with each other. Um, whereas I see, you know, a video gaming parent and a son, there's a chance that um, they can be competitive from an earlier age. Um, and, you know, what does that mean? Yeah, well, they could be competitive maybe immediately. I mean, I, I remember when my uh, – I had, I had a, uh, my, my little brother was – at like age three, was uh, was already you know as good at uh, many video games as I was. I mean, at least the games that did not require like considerable, you know, like I don't know if like he would have done the same, done as well with an RPG, for example. But like Mario right. Kart, right? Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, exactly. But so, should I, should I keep this for the pod? I have no idea. I mean, it's, I think it's fun. Okay, it's happening right now. Not yeah. only have have the listeners. Um, heard your early discussion about a, a piece on which you're working with regard to video games and video game fathers and sons, uh, but they've also heard the part where I ask you if it's okay to keep it for the pod. <laughs> well, that was the best part. Yeah. No, actually, you know, I think that we can maybe segue. The one thing that um, I'm also thinking about while I'm doing this is because I'm not a huge gamer. You know, my, my brother-in-law is a, I'm, I have people in my life who I will be looking at and sort of talking to about this, but I'm a big fantasy gamer, um, and so I will. I am looking forward to the day that my son is in a fantasy league with me. But that'll take a little bit longer, I think. It I does. I mean, it requires I, what, like a certain amount of uh, math and reason, I, I suppose. Um, right. No, when you and I, I remember first hearing about fantasy sports, maybe when I was eleven. Or something like that. It would have been uh, like 1990, 1992, somewhere in there. Um, and um, I remember thinking, well, uh, this would be a great thing to start. But a, I didn't have any of the means, like you know, and I also didn't have uh, b, I didn't have enough friends to do that. <laughs> but also, just this, you know, pre-internet, it was a, it was really an undertaking, I guess. Yeah, it was a lot harder back then. Um, so I think I think you could start a little bit earlier. I think back to when I traded baseball cards, um, and I was doing that pretty religiously in '86, '87, um, where I was uh, yeah you know, seven and eight. Right. Um, and I think by the time that you are trading baseball cards, you can play fantasy because basically what you're doing is you're assessing the value of your card versus the value of their card and. You might have different kinds of needs, but you might say, well, you know, I think I, – I remember the, this guy I knew was really into uh, Barry Bonds, so I traded him like a regular old Barry Bonds for um, a Greg Maddox rookie and uh, some other card, a Frank Thomas rookie, I think. And I remember, you know, I just took advantage of him, and that was like sort of a fantasy trade, you know. <laughs> that was like, he has with me, he likes Barry Bonds. You know, I have a knee. I want rookie cards. Um, so I think that, yeah, maybe by the time he's six or seven, we can have a, a, a game together. And, you know, of course, the first time, this also comes up with, with the gaming, you know, you can't trounce them the first time they play something, you know. I can't, you know, right. invite him to play in my fantasy league and then just completely decimate his team with lopsided trades in my favor. Well, how about this? How about this, though? <laughs> And this is the same yeah. thing that might happen with video games. I mean, it's clearly with a video game, 
a, a child can play by himself, right? Uh-huh. And so playing the yeah. computer, you you know, you develop skills. You learn about the game, it's and you learn about you know. There's not just you don't necessarily even just learn about the specific game, but you also learn about they're kind of like basic ideas that transcend most games, right? Yeah. Um, and the same thing you could do with fantasy. Maybe you start. Maybe you have a team together in just like a Yahoo Public League, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and so that you work on it together. It's co-op, yeah, it's cooperation before competition. So, and it's probably that way in both at first. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I still, th- I still would like the idea that there's some stakes though too. Uh, I remember playing like rec, rec league basketball in Concord, New Hampshire, uh, and you know, uh, and there being no score kept, um, as like a maybe nine or ten or eleven year old, and uh, it made it made the whole endeavor for me seem meaningless. Um, because no score kept. No score. Yeah, I thought. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, um, on the one hand, on the one hand, I recognize that there is some need to uh, protect young people from from certain things. On the other hand, like, a point of the game is to win the game. And also dealing with losing is like a big part of life. So I think like – I mean I think you introduce a, a child to losing as soon as possible. I mean not as like a rule of life. But it's like, yeah, you're going to lose sometimes and it's not, a, it's not a big deal. I think at that point what you do is you put you – make, uh, you make a victory a, a, a greater consequence, you know, victory or defeat. You actually – by delaying it with with recreational sports, you know, for youth, I think you actually you you attribute to it greater consequence than it actually deserves. Uh, I think you, you mi- minimize like it from the deal. beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we lost today. So what? We lost today. Yeah, we're losers, but I mean, it's not like it's not going to affect our entire again. life. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think and, I, just, I still think that the timing is interesting. Like, you might want to start with a win. <laughs> Like cooperate at first, help him win a league, you know, and then say, okay, now it's your turn to try, and you know, and then help and help him a little bit less, and then see if he loses. Be like, well, you know, there's always the next one. But look at in video games too. In video games, you lose all the time. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. the nice thing is a little bit harder because you're it's like a full season, you know. So if you if I just take the reins off after our you know our cooperative yeah. one and say, okay. Now you're all alone, and then he spends six months playing this game, and then loses. Yeah, He's, he might not want to play this game. Well, he did you win your first that. fantasy league? Did you win your first fantasy league? Uh, yeah, but by the time I was playing um, fantasy, I was in uh, I was either senior in high school or freshman in college. Right, and it was all online, so you know I I was more developed and yeah. Well, plus you—you, uh, I, you, I mean, you've dealt with—you've dealt with years of losing before that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're uh, well accustomed to it. Uh, hey, listen, let's—I'm uh, going to—I'm going to invoke the reason why we're here, at least the reason I think we're here, and this does not have to be something we talk about the entire time, but we might as well address it before we uh, get going too much further. And I think it has something to do with. I, there are obviously we're in the off season now. There there are a number of fantasy issues uh, to be discussed. Specifically, though, I believe the deadline for auto new arbitration is approaching, and there will be other auto new things after that. Yes. 
Yes, that's true. Um, arbitration, I think, ends uh, next week. I, if I remember correctly, it's the 15th, yep. um, which is about midweek next week or next Thursday. Um, and, um, you know, I think I'm really happy with um, the fact that there's a choice this year with automated systems. Um, yeah, will you explain, really will you the, explain uh, both, both of what's going on? Yeah, I mean, the basic, the basics of Automir is that it's an auction dynasty. Um, so, you know, all your players have uh, a dollar uh, value attached to them, and you, and you keep all of them if you want to. Um, and there's a basic inflation of $2 per player um, every year. And uh, then what we wanted to do, or what Nib wanted to do when he created the game, um, was add in this idea of basically like the Super 2 or... Um, the sort of star young player, there has to be some sort of um, price penalty for that because he wanted to keep people from just basically creating a team full of $1 rookies, um, finding out which ones work, and then just having this cheap team full of star young players. So he wanted to sort of bring market forces into your team, and the way he did it at first was this thing called arbitration, where people voted a player off of your team. So if you had Mike Trout at $2, the old system um, has people voting Mike Trout off of your team, uh, and then you have a $5 voucher in the regular um, auction to try and get Mike Trout back. So, um, you know, that would mean that you would get Mike Trout at $5 less than, uh, than uh, market value. The new one, which I like better, and I actually have like a five dollar Mike Trout, so I can see how this would have worked either way. Um, the new system has um, has people people have twenty five dollars to allocate to other teams. So each really. team each team has has twenty five dollars. Yeah, each team has twenty five dollars in their pocket, and they get to go to each team, and they they have to put a dollar on the player on on each of the other eleven teams. Okay. But um, that leaves that, that you know that still leaves you know um, my math is fourteen dollars for uh, for them to put onto other players. So um, in my league, I've got uh, they put my league mates put twenty one dollars on my truck. Um, okay. And, in which league is that in? Which uh, this is, I believe. Um, That's one of your expert leagues, or. Yeah, this okay. is in the Fangraphs Expert League. Um, okay. It's a five-by-five league, and I had uh, Mike Trout and people two people two dollars on Ari Dickey, um, which is a little surprising. But uh, so my Mike Trout is going to have going to be costing me twenty-one dollars plus the nine dollars. Uh, I guess yeah, I bought him for seven. Normal up. Go to nine, and then uh, twenty-one dollars on top of that. So my trout's gonna be thirty dollars for the next year. Okay, right. So you still have a player. So you're still at some level because because we can presume, or can we presume that Mike Trout um, will be worth thirty dollars next year? That makes sense, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I tried to I tried to do a little piece on him um, where I was a little pessimistic and tried to pull him back to some of his minor league power rates. Um, and, um, you know, pull back on the Babbitt a little bit. Um, and I couldn't really be more pessimistic than 290, 20, 40. 
um, just because he's he's really talented. That's not as good of a season as last year. Right. Um, but the county stats, the runs and the RBI, those are probably going to be higher considering that he missed a month. So I, I don't see how that's not worth thirty dollars. Okay, right. So so you have a thirty dollar player. So you're still being rewarded at some level, I guess, for um, for having picked him up at um, at a cheaper price, right? Because you you have him below market value. But at the same yeah. time, we still see this effect where um, where teams have been able to increase the price for him. Other owners yeah. have been able to do so. Yeah, and I uh, I like it. I think uh, I like the idea that it, it's a little bit anti-competitive. I guess it's a little bit socialist in a way. Um, but it's not like baseball doesn't have those things in there too. You know, um, we went away from the you know the system where you just own a player for his entire career. Um, and arbitration itself is a, is a way that the market comes in and affects your budgeting for your team, you know? Like, they'll get Mike Trout, the Angels will get Mike Trout for 400000 again next year. But the year after that, they're probably going to have to spend a lot more on it. So um, it's trying to mimic arbitration in real life. Mm-hmm. And I think it does a better job um, this way than just voting him off the team. Now, you brought up uh, the Mike Trout example. Uh, I'm curious if there are any uh, other sort of notable arbitration examples that you're seeing or, you know, no- notable uh, players who are, uh, you know, being allocated uh, m- uh, more more money than others. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's okay if you here. look at, you know, you can, you don't have to pretend yeah, that. I'm looking. You don't have to me- have this memorized. No, no, I'm looking. I'm just looking through my teams. I think that's, that's like I said before. That's sort of how I do a lot. Yeah, of my and I could also, if you want, um, I could I could bring up some examples because I I've actually uh, in clandestine fashion, you know, I've opened up the uh, the arbitration artist. allocation page for our staff league. Yeah. Yeah. So number one in this league that I'm seeing, other than Trout, is um, Alan Craig, eight dollars. Alan Craig has been assessed eight dollars in your league. Yeah, and I guess Alan Craig is. What do we know about Alan Craig? What what would have earned him uh, or garnered him the attention of other owners? Um, I think uh, just sort of cementing an everyday job. Um, the fact that Berkman uh, probably will be back um, opens up first base for him, and uh, I think we knew he had talent. It's it, it's a little bit of a late. Uh, not a late blooming situation, but a little bit like uh, Ryan Howard, where um, there were just a lot of great players in front of him, and it took him a while to um, establish an everyday job. But um, you know, he'll be an outfield eligible guy that hits like a first baseman on some level. So I think um, with the five outfielder slots in Avenue, that's it's a very valuable player. Let me ask you this. Um... So, so if, well, first of all, we could say that perhaps if there's a sort of player, uh, we'd expect to be receiving more arbitration allocation uh, in terms of dollar. Um, um, it might be a player who was uh, picked up by a team, uh, whether through whether through auction or or via trade or, or via um, waiver wire, uh, who was um, picked up and produced at a, at a, a greater I guess a greater rate than would be expected for the dollar amount, and so other owners say, "Well, you should be paying more for that player." Um, 
and you know here you go now now you are i mean it would, that that's a very general characterization but is that a, is that what we're looking at for if we're starting that, first that's principles? probably yeah that's the alan craig situation and then um you might call it also kind of like the edwin encarnacion um situation where it's sort of a breakout um but then there's also the young player breakout where someone um you know drafted Mike Trout, I think that's sort of a different situation. Someone drafted Mike Trout, someone drafted Bryce Harper, um, I see Matt Harvey on here, where a young player that, uh, you know, Harvey's a little bit different, but, you know, a young player that wasn't established yet established himself. Um, so I think that's, those are the sort of two, obviously it's someone who added a ton of value in one season. So, you know, one is either sort of more playing time, uh, or a mid-career breakout, and the other one is a young player establishing themselves. And here's a question. I know that for my team uh, specifically, uh, my Evan Longoria, uh, my Evan Longoria has been assessed three dollars, right? Um, and Evan Longoria is a player for whom I was already paying fifty-four. I'm, I'm curious as to what you're seeing uh, in terms of of dollars being allocated to players who are already elite talents. But maybe what owners think to themselves is, well, if I put a bunch of money, or if I, you know, allocate all my money to this top flight player, uh, right? And, and top top flight players are, are maybe players uh, for whom we're willing to overspend uh, because you need, you know, you need production somewhere, right? So we'll maybe overspend. And if you if you allocate a certain amount of money to those top flight players, then you can force that owner uh, into into releasing said star player. Back into uh, back into the auction pool. Yeah, this is actually um, something that uh, Chad Young uh, talked about a little bit. He did an excellent guide to auto new arbitration on rotographs. But um, you know, I think that I think that people are doing that. Obviously, I think uh, you know, fifty-four dollars for Longoria is is and this is my point actually. Fifty-four dollars for Longoria is already a lot, and mm-hmm. you're probably already thinking about dropping him. So to put more money on there, you might just be wasting your arbitration money. So I'd rather look and try and find the best, that the players whose value most outstrips their cost on your team. And that's where I want to put money. Because if I put $3 on Evan Longoria and then you drop him, that's, I didn't, I didn't really, and, and you were planning on dropping him anyway, then I really just wasted my money. Well, maybe I was, maybe I wasn't, you know, Saris. <laughs> you don't know, do you? Yeah, well, the deadline hasn't passed yet, so we're we're uh, we're we might be revealing some stuff to our competitors. Here. Right. I, I one thing that that uh, I've certainly revealed to competitors is is um uh, and, and of course th- there are a lot of th- th- I think there are a lot of conversations to have um, with this format with regard to how prospects are handled because on the one hand, as you know, it's great to have you know a five dollar Mike Trout during the season. On the other hand, um, that's the sort of player who's going to receive a lot of attention from these sorts of allocations. So there's a question as to how long, you know, you'll be. Uh, I guess you'll be, ha- you'll be um, lucky to benefit from. You'll be benefiting from that that marginal value, right? The difference between the, the amount that you're paying Mike Trout and the, and the amount that he's producing in terms of dollars. Um, and I think that actually I probably messed up in the experts league because um, I was 
either 11th or I think I was 11th. I had a bad season. Um, and I think, you know, it, 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 once again, I think this is a really great system because it brings you sort of into a situation like in real life um, where uh, a, a team, a rebuilding team, you surely can trade away um, a guy that's close to free agency uh, and maybe get a couple B-level prospects back. And I think I wrote about Shin, Shin Tichu today, and, you know, he's probably got about $5, 6000000 million of, um, of extra value, of surplus value, and if you trade him away, you can maybe get, like, a great B, um, you know, bottom of the top 100 kind of prospect back. Um, but if you trade, you know, someone like maybe the Mets might be thinking about trading John Neese, he has, you know, three or four more years of team control left. And he's a pretty decent pitcher coming off a good year. If they trade John Neese, they're going to get a lot more than if they trade uh, R.A. Dickey, who is on one more year at $5 million. So even if R.A. Dickey wins the Cy Young, I think this is true. So in my case, I probably should have, I probably should have traded Mike Trout. I probably should have traded Mike Trout, and because they wouldn't have known exactly how much he would have cost, mm-hmm. and they might have thought, you know, oh, you know, maybe he'll only cost twenty-five next year. And so, in their in their way of evaluating, they they say, okay, well, I'm a competitive a competitive team. I get Mike Trout for super treat this year, and he's probably going to be cheap next year. I might have gotten a, a smorgasbord of of top young talent. And you think just, you might have gotten an entire really, smorgasbord? I think an entire smorgasbord, board. And, and I think that I maybe, uh, and instead, of course, what I did was what, uh, the sort of middle of the line competitive teams do, uh, which might not be a winning strategy, is I just, I sold smaller pieces, pieces I wasn't going to keep. I had a $50 Justin Upton. I sold him, um, for, uh, let's see, I think like Trevor Story, um, you know, who's a, a shortstop in the, in the Colorado organization. I got, I think Trevor Story, and Addison Russell, I got a couple shortstops back, which is great. But, you know, Addison Russell and Trevor Story, they're kind of they're single-A guys right now. They're a little bit off, you know, far off in the future. You know, if I traded Mike Trout, I could have gotten, you know, three or four young pieces who are in the major league. Let me ask you about an, another possible strategy. And this is similar to this idea of allocating uh, arbitration funds. Um, if, I'm an, if I'm one owner um, – Allocating those arbitration funds to uh, an Evan Longoria type, a top flight star, where I'm trying to kind of push push the owner into um, dropping that player back into the pool, so it might be available to me, for example. What about this method? Um, how do you feel about it? In in that I allocate money to prospects that an opponent has, um, prospects who are both highly ranked right now, but whose major league uh, debut, I guess, is uh, still uncertain. So, for example, um, Oscar Tavares m- might be an example. Uh, Jerks and Profar might be an example. Uh, players who are being paid now maybe two, four, you know, six dollars, something like that, um, by other owners who are paying essentially for the right to retain those players at this point because they're not actually producing fantasy points. Um, I was actually, as you were talking, I was staring a hole into uh, Jerkson Profar and Oscar Tavares in the Experts League. Those guys, Jerkson Profar is signed for $5, and he already has $4 added to him. Okay. So now he's 
probably a, an $11 player next year. Right. And, and that, that's an $11 young player without a um, without a starting role. Right. So essentially, I guess what the, what um, the owners have conspired to do at this point is is probably uh, push Profar off that that one owner's roster, or if not, at least made the decision a lot more difficult and made it diff- probably more difficult for that owner to compete uh, in 2013. Yeah, and I think that I think that's a winning strategy. Actually, I, I like that a lot better than the doing it to the superstars because mm-hmm. um, the superstars' value is more set. The young players' value has a, such a wide range. Um, you know, and even if even if you uh, even if the person keeps Jerickson profile eleven dollars, you have affected his entire career earnings path. You know, mm-hmm. um, and you've and you've made it more difficult for that team just going forward in general. Um, and then it, you know it, it extends to to smaller names. Uh, although I mean, Tyjuan Walker is um, is a is a popular player. Um, you know, just not you know not, not on the level of profile being talked about. He has three dollars allocated to him in this league. He was signed at two, so now he's a six dollar uh, player in the minor leagues. Now uh, we should also note, um, Eno Saris is uh, he's he's a literate person, um, but in terms of his, did pronoun- I mispronounce his name? I'm pretty sure you did. I believe it's Taiwan. Yeah, Taiwan, like oh, very similar to the country. Yeah. Uh, you do. That's, that's, that's a lot better than pronouncing the J. I think. <laughs> yeah, you. Uh, yeah, you're impaired in a in a mysterious way, so far as that's concerned. But I, in fact, I'm not sure that I've ever heard you say a name right before. <laughs> my my wife just calls me a gringo. Yes. Uh, yeah. She just called you one. No, no. Just in general, this this is a part of my gringo. She refers name. to you as a gringo constantly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think it's appropriate at this point. Sounds uh, like you agree. What are the few, yeah, the uh, uh, right. You're you're right. And so when you have like a second, t- I mean, uh, right. Sure, Walker has a great future. It seems at this yeah. point, it seems as though he has a bright future. But um, uh, really, how much are you willing to, to allocate to him at uh, at this point? So it it actually. Uh, go ahead. Twenty innings in Double A last year, and he had a four six nine ERA and a one four WHIP almost. So mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he had a lot of strikeouts, but. You're going to keep that guy for six bucks? And it's, that, and that's probably a really effective way to, to flush Walker out. Right. Now, if I can in, – in, uh, I'm just doing a little bit of math here. It seems as though if there are 11 te- – uh, so there are 12 teams total. Um, if I'm one owner, I have 11 opposing owners, and uh, each of them are, are allowed to allocate up to, up to $3 to one of my players. Um, so it seems like the most – any one player could be uh, – um, his salary could be increased by 33. Does that make sense? Um, That's, you I just, have to give one to every team. So um, you have to subtract uh, 10 from your 25. Okay. Actually, no. I think the, I think there's a rule about how much you can you can give to one team. and, and You can only make $3. Yeah. So, That's yeah, 33. Both 33. Right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the most you would expect it to be rises risen is thirty three. And if I if I'm not mistaken, when Niv, and this is of course Niv Shot, the uh, creator, the co-creator of of the Auto New uh, Fantasy League fantasy baseball system, he um, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, he he said that w- 
the way they set it on 25 per person, the way they set it on, on all the rules basically, is that it approximates the amount that players were seeing through increase in the old system, right, where you would identify one player in an opposing team, or I should say at least one player would be dropped from a team, and that owner would have a, a $5 voucher in the uh, in the next uh, the next auction. It's true. The, the overall inflation um, is the same as it was in the old system. Okay, yeah. Uh, and that's, that's, that's how they came to that. Let me ask you this question. Uh, this is related uh, insofar as it's about fantasy baseball, um, which should not be shocking. It's also related insofar as it affects uh, player value in terms of dollars in, in any sort of auction league, which someone might be participating. Something that happened uh, after last season was Zach Sanders of Rotographs submitted for the consideration of uh, the wide readership, Rotographs wide readership, uh, a dollar value system that um, I remember um, being pretty excellently done. And I'm curious if some, if that or something like that um, is on the horizon at Rotographs this year. To uh, actually have auction values? Yeah, he released the, these are the dollar values of all these players, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, um, we're, yeah we, I think we're planning on having that. Um, the earliest um, the earliest uh, version of those will be in Fangraphs Plus, um, the sort of fantasy annual. Um, and um, so we're going to do our earliest rankings and our earliest dollar values sort of in February um, is the hope. And so you can sort of, it's not, it's, I mean, what was it last year? I think 499 It's not a huge dollar, you know, uh, price to put on, you know, getting the jump on everybody. But then also, you know, uh, when late March comes around and, and everyone's drafting, we'll have, uh, we'll at least have the rankings, and I, my hope is to also have dollar values. It's just, it's really tricky because everyone's leagues um, are so different. and Right. Doing replacement value, replacement level value, um, requires knowing, you know, exactly how many starting spots you have, um, how many bench spots you have, uh, how many teams you have, um, and, you know, even on some level, how many moves you, you're allowed to make and if you have a free agent budget for the year, because we're, we're thinking about things like, this is an interesting concept that we're trying to figure out right now, is Let's say you project a guy for 500 plate appearances, and so therefore his value takes a sting. But he's a star, right? Um, and you're basically you're talking about a guy that's going to be a star when he's in, and then you have 200 or 150 plate appearances you need to make up somewhere else, um, you know, off the wire. So, you know, can you just plug in a replacement value for that 150 and therefore inflate the star's value because you can say, I can always find a replacement player. I can't find the star production. So if I can get star production for 500 player appearances, then I should actually get um, replacement. I should actually get factored into his cost should be the idea that I can get replacement level work for the rest of that. Right. So if the if the fantasy owner is such a such a one as has the ability uh, to find value uh, on the waiver wire, if, if he feels like that's one of his skills as a fantasy owner, um, then he might be more drawn to to the injury prone star because he knows that uh, if he needs to pick up 200 plate appearances somewhere, uh, he'll be able to do it. Yeah, and I and I tried to I looked at Eric Ibar recently from that sort of perspective, 
And, you know, he didn't have a great year. It was only like 500, five homers, 290 average, uh, 20 stolen bases, and he did it in almost exactly the, the numbers I was saying, the 500 plate appearances. So what I did was um, throw in uh, some of the replacement-level guys, you know, Escobar, um, for uh, for the rest of the time. And basically, um, Eric Ibar plus replacement level um, was worth as much as Elvis Andrews at 11th um, among shortstops uh, for the year. So, you know, that just made me think that there's got to be some value to guys that, you know, won't do the full slate of a bat, but will be good while they're in there. Of course, figuring that out, you know, that's, that's me looking backwards. Figuring that out going forward is much harder because, you know, if you're going to project a guy to only hit in 500 plate appearances, then you're probably saying that he's older and then you're probably going to degrade all the rest of the stats. But if you got lucky and you've got, you know, one of those Lance Berkman resurgent years where, yes, he's only hit about in 500 plate appearances, but when he was in there, he hit 30 homers, um, then you're, you know, then you can have a really viable strategy working with older players that, you know, have less play appearances and then working replacement level guys in when they're hurt. But normally the two kind of go hand in hand, right? Play appearances, the younger you are, the better, the more closer you are to your peak, the more play appearances you get, the better your production is in those play appearances. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Let's let's talk just briefly before you go about uh, FG Plus. This is uh, we did this last year. It was sort of uh, it had been called Second Opinion. Uh, we sort of changed it to a more. Uh, we included a little bit more in it, I guess, is what happened, and that's why it became FG Plus. Um, I know I that. Think, I think. What it's an interesting thing because Second Opinion was um, was easily sort of more easily branded as a, a fantasy annual, and that that was pretty easy. Sort of appreciate, right? And Fangraphs Plus is a little bit more of a year-long thing. You get access to all the ESPN articles that we write for Insider um, and stuff like that. So it's a little bit more borderline in between real baseball and fantasy baseball. But you know, I've always that's that's where I find myself. You mm-hmm. know, and I and I I think that even if it's a little bit difficult for some people that don't like fantasy to sort of figure it out. Um, I think that there is going to be value in this for non-fantasy um, lovers because, you know, the kind of research that goes into the long pieces at the front is definitely something that would fit on the front of Fangraphs. I mean, we're going to be looking into uh, the viability of young prospects. Um, and, yes, from a fantasy angle, is it a great idea to build your team on unproven rookies? You know, that's the sort of question we're asking. But that's, uh, that's a, a real baseball question, too, you know, is it, you know, how many how many young players hit, you know, how many young players become, you know, great players. Right. Yeah. Um, I, before we go on, you know, I just want to apologize. My wife dropped her cell phone on the table where I keep my microphone, and it, it I'm sure it disturbed the listener considerably. So I just want to apologize to you and all the listeners out there. <laughs> I know that. She's, it's all right. I was just waxing on about bigger uh, stuff, but I do think that there'll be crossover appeal. Um, you know, non-fans will love it, uh, but it's also going to offer a lot of value to the fans players because it's going to have we're going to have blurbs on eleven hundred players again. They're going to you, be you're selling uh, product right now. What you're doing? You're shilling. You're shilling hard. Well, it's 
You're sh- you're selling oh, no. hard right now. <laughs> Is it? Oh, it's because it's a product in which you believe. You believe in it. Oh, I. Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's writing it and reading it and editing it is my preparation for the fantasy. Let me ask you this. This is the big question. This is what the people want to know, Eno. Are you willing to put the Eno Saris stamp of approval onto FG Plus? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. That's all I'm gonna say. That's you, you, you can say it. You can say all this or not. Am I gonna see that stamp of approval? That's what the people want to see. <laughs> Great A. Yeah. Great A approved chemotherapy. Uh, question – now answer this question. Do you think that I, Carson Sestouli, am going to be writing the most important player profiles for this edition of uh, – this year's edition of the FG Plus? <laughs> Do you think that I'm writing the profiles that hold together the entire project? Um, maybe. <laughs> but I think it's funny because we have 1,100 uh, profiles and, yeah. and we've got – You've got a very distinct group among among those profiles. That do you, do you no think it's the sexiest stars. No, the sexiest. No, <laughs> no, no top prospects. Uh, they're they're very Carson. It's your it's your group of players. It is. And Although I, think, I do have I do have Oscar Tavares on it. Uh, I think that most of these guys though, because I think last year there were uh, most of the players would receive a full write up, but then for some of them they get the sort of uh, the brief write up. Uh-huh. Am I doing the full write-up for all these, or many like like for for uh, for Michael Clayto? Does he need a Does he need a full write-up? Or I just did the, the blurb. Actually, I think this year, um, and because of the way we're setting it up, I'm going to allow the writers to decide. Because you know, most of us we're all fantasy players, mm-hmm. and you know, the way that the way that we're producing these this year, because Appleman created this great list um, function uh, where yeah, that's right. You know, Hewlett's, Hewlett's been working with these. You've seen his, his recent prospect things. They come out in a list format. That's, yeah. We're going to use that list maker um, for Pangrass Plus. And that that means that there's more control in the hands of the writer. So the writer is going to go in and see all of his players and just write what he thinks is appropriate. I think that's brave of you. Um, I think it's brave of you to, to trust uh, to trust people. Especially I don't want to force anyone to, to write more than they should. I mean, my, you know, Cleto's got a great fastball, but there's an established closer in St. Louis. And, you know, it's, it's hard to see him. You, you have to sort of talk about bullpen roles, but it's hard to see him just jump right into setup um, right yeah, away. He's, so. Yeah, and, of course, they have, uh, I mean, for example, uh, well, another player who, uh, whom, whom I requested and was given – uh, Trevor Rosenthal, uh, his his role is uncertain, and I think that you know if he ends up in the bullpen, he's probably ahead of Clayto. Although I I still think Clayto's great. I I still think Clayto, if he were a little bit more efficient with his pitches, you know he's he's had success at every level now uh, in terms of starting. So that that to me would also not be totally uh, ridiculous. But no, that isn't. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just feel like he's been around forever. I feel like. You know, why haven't they given him more chances yet? And yet he was only 23 this year. Well, that's – we just wrote the blurb, I think. Boom, we did. Yeah, I'll just transcribe this. There's blurb number one. <laughs> Michael Clayton, uh, the one that the, – the, the profile for which everyone is waiting. No, but you know what? They're not – you know, joking aside, you, you, you will write a blurb about a player that will probably win – somebody's fantasy season because yes. you have selected 
very high variance guys um, that are also not going to be super expensive. You know, mm-hmm. instead of instead of uh, you know Shelby, just you know, as an example, instead of Shelby Miller or Trevor Bauer, you instead of Trevor Bauer, you pick Chase Anderson. Um, I did pick and, Chase Anderson, yes. <laughs> whose name? Whose it, name? Uh, to be honest, I did not know until like two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but who? But it's a great changeup. It's a great changeup, and you never know what will happen because Trevor Bauer, his star kind of faded a little bit, and Tyler Skaggs didn't have a great debut, and Archie Bradley's probably not there yet. You know, if if you know the game of knows um, continues, Chase Anderson is next. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Pitchers are so weird like that, though, because you can, yeah, you can have those high-profile guys, but then you have Dan Straley. I mean, Dan Straley has not done that. He has not performed in the major in his major league appearances like he did in the minor leagues, but he was also like a twenty-something round pick at one point, and he shouldn't right. have really even been. It shouldn't have ever been a question. Um, and it's the same thing with Tom Malone, right? I mean, I'm sure Tom Malone was a valuable piece for a number of people's. Uh, fantasy uh, fantasy teams this year. I mean, in, insofar as he pr- produced more than many paid for him, I'm sure. Uh, and yeah, our our competition that we do every year in the Fangraphs Plus is going to be much closer this year. Right, you we and I do. Get uh, the heralded guys, and I and I take the top shelf guys. And last year, you know, even though I got Bryce Harper, I think uh, Mike Trout was not a rookie um, at the beginning of the year, and then and MLB decided he was a rookie at the end of the year. So. I don't think I actually had my trout on my squad. Right, right. Yeah, he would have uh, been. Uh, he would have been one of the better. He would have uh, been useful. <laughs> been yeah. Well, I think actually. So I think uh, I think we'll have a close. close I think actually you and I were not using. Yeah, and you and I were not using rookie eligibility proper. We were just saying like X number of uh, plate appearances. So I think that there, there there had been something with that. Like he had done this and not that, or maybe we had done. Right. I don't know what it was. You know what? And on the, at this point, I don't care. I don't care. That's that's where I'm sta- that's where I'm standing. You know what I do care about? I mean, it was it was easy. He 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 spent too many days on a roster, more than plate appearances. But it looks like they're looking the other way right now because he's you know he's eligible. Yeah. Reasons. Here uh, here I have two questions. Uh, um, a is uh, do we have a uh, do we have a meeting this afternoon? I'm operating on the assumption we do. Okay. Right, yes. And B, uh, do you have a beer-related comment for us? No. My uh, my son gave me a daycare cold that turned into a sinus infection. And I mean, my beer-related uh, comment is that I have uh, a bitch's brew from Doctor's Head sitting in my fridge that I really want to drink, but I'm in no shape to drink it. So. Does this? So actually, I'll tell you, and I don't know, maybe this is the case for you, maybe it's the case for some of our listeners, but... Um, this is actually – that's my litmus test for whether or not I'm becoming sick uh, is I know that if I don't feel like having a beer uh, or if I feel like not – yeah, I, then I know like, oh, no, I'm probably getting sick. That's that's like the <laughs> – more than anything, that is the that is the most telling uh, sign. Oh, man. When you have a – when or if you have a child, uh, daycare colds are the bane of – they're going to be the bane of your existence. I've already had two of them this winter, and this one – is in day 14, so yeah, not uh, happy. I mean, you see, you've taken the approach. Uh, you're sort of one of these touchy, feely West Coasters, right? Um, yeah. Who takes care of his child? Uh, my wife yeah. and I have already decided. First of all, we're not going to reproduce until we can afford an au pair, 
And uh, at the time, <laughs> time is when we do have a child, we will hand him over or her over to to <laughs> the pair. pair will largely be responsible for the upbringing. Yeah, mostly yeah, and uh, <laughs> and then we will you know we'll become acquainted with the child at a at a later date, <laughs> like maybe maybe like when you're saying like uh, seven or eight or nine, like when a child can sit through a meal or um, you know learn have polite uh, conversation. Yeah, right. Because up till that age, they're just junk. I think you. I mean, I think you're starting <laughs> to learn that. And well, I, I really enjoy my afternoons and my time. I, I, I pick them up. Yeah, but you, yeah. you're required by law to say that. I don't believe any of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now I'm not so excited. Yeah, no, you're so, yeah, no, I understand. It seems like it's full of challenges and delights simultaneously. Oh. Yeah. That seems like a perfect way to end this. Yeah, it does. Okay. Well, let's do that. Uh, stick around for a second for some uh, uh, post-recording conversation. But for now, uh, thank you, Mina Saris, uh, editor of well, editor of, of uh, Rotographs, but uh, pan Fangraphs contributor. Yes. Thank I said you thank you. That's what I said. Always, yeah. Yes, yeah, I'm thanking you because I always enjoy talking to you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, so that sounds reasonable. That is Mina uh, Saris. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been a, a fantasy edition of Fangraphs Audio.